0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazor, and today we're going to be doing a little bit something different with our recruiting segment, at least, because we're going to be talking about two recruiting worlds that typically don't get talked about as much in baseball and women's basketball as well as discussing just about every major sporting event that has happened in the Kansas State sporting world within the last week or so. But let's first begin with our standard slate of recruiting news, which doesn't have football like we mentioned, which we've only really done once before. But the first sport we're going to talk about is two recent 2023 baseball commits to Kansas State University and head coach Pete Hughes. And that is Rohan Putz out of Bishop Miege and Nick English out of Olathe South. Rohan Putz is listed on Perfect Game, the website we use as an outfielder right-handed pitcher shortstop, which means that Pete Hughes has found another utility player that he can just point to the outfield and just bring in for a couple pitches.
1: Yeah, that's pretty much Rohan Putz in a nutshell, from what I can tell. Because baseball recruiting, it's pretty hit and miss on how much info you're gonna get on a guy. And Rohan Putz is one of those guys that you're just not gonna learn much about from his recruiting profile. Like he doesn't have any sort of like verified measurables or anything. All we have is height and weight. He's 5'9", 165.
0: five nine, one sixty five.
1: Five nine gang represent. Yep. Five nine gang. Short king. Short king. He just kinda of has this single game stats here but there's not a lot for us to look at how good he is or isn't and he doesn't have a grade either uh but p hughes likes him and he's upcoming p hughes has been a pretty solid recruiter actually uh, in the time that he's been here so i will just give him the benefit of the doubt until
0: proven otherwise yep that's but the next guy is someone that i know you're really excited about and that is nick english out of olathe south yeah
1: nick english is pretty much the exact opposite of The problem I just described with uh, Rohan Putts, Nick English, he is graded, and he has a lot of measurables. He's 5'10", 195. He's a primary catcher, but can play third base as well. And Perfect Game, we've talked about this before, but for those that don't know, Perfect Game uses a 1 to 10 grade system, a 10 being uh, listed as a potential very high draft pick and or elite level college prospect. And so Nick English is listed as a 9 out of 10, which is potential top 10 round pick and or highest level college prospect. So Nick English is very highly regarded by Perfect Game. And he also comes in a catcher where Chris Bios is graduating and I believe uh, we're losing a few other guys there as well. So uh, he doesn't have a crazy fastball velocity, but that's not what he's here for. Uh, but he does have good measurables elsewhere. He's fast as well. He's a 90th percentile 60-yard uh, dash, a 6.84 second. And the class average is 7.37. So he's looking pretty good there. His pop time needs some work. He has 1.96 pop time second, which is above average, but not a super high percentile. Yeah, but, could
0: use a little bit of work. But that
1: comes with technique training. Yep. And uh, he's already got a, a good athletic frame. And uh, he's got a uh, good footwork as uh, part
0: of his uh, scouting profile. So a uh, good
1: pickup for Pete Hughes in the game.
0: Yep. Especially coming off of a year where it's going to be a position of need for 2023, mm-hmm. which means we have to wait a year before they arrive on campus yep. or yep. a year or two.
1: And both of these guys are 2023. Baseball is kind of like, oh gosh, uh, soccer. And, that. Uh, Recruiting generally happens a few years out. Other those soccer's a lot more extreme with that. Yeah, Baseball, you're generally going to see guys recruiting a year or two ahead of time. It's not like football where guys are committing up until signing day. Uh, because in baseball, you have that shot of getting drafted. So you fill your spot early and then just perform and try to get noticed by the MLB. Yep.
0: So that's baseball. But we also recently signed a women's basketball recruit by the name of Taryn Sides who we can't really find much on because women's basketball is criminally undercovered in nearly every aspect of life, but it's still something that we find very important to talk about every K-State sport, no matter which one it is, which is why I kind of view it as a black eye on the show that we didn't cover track and field, but at the same time, we started in June.
1: Yeah, I did not leave us much time to cover a lot of those additional spring sports. But yeah, women's basketball picked up a commitment uh, from Phillipsburg, Kansas, so an in-state prospect Terrence Sides. Uh, she's a guard of 5'6", and that's pretty much all that we know about her. Like, we're, I was looking for film. Uh, the few women's basketball recruiting sites that exist either didn't have her or didn't have any film on her. But I, I feel, I'm not too worried. Anyway, because Jeff Mitty, if there's anything that he's done in his time at K-State, he's been a pretty good recruiter. Uh, he's generally on high-level recruits like 2022. Uh, Jalen Glenn is a uh, four-star commit. But so I'm not too worried about his ability to locate talent. And so I figure if he's taking a uh, in-state prospect this early, even if they don't have much film out there, I'd imagine they're probably doing something right.
0: Yep, that's 100% my take on it as well. So moving on from the recruiting news, we have the first recap section of the Aggieville Alley Cats. And that is covering women's soccer and women's volleyball. Let's first start off with women's soccer. Women's soccer has played twice so far. I believe one was an exhibition or or maybe both were official games. Yeah, they were they were both official. Never mind. They were both official. The first game was an 0-2 loss to Weaver State in the home opener. I was in attendance for about 10 minutes before I actually had to go do something, so that's that's on me. I didn't see any of the goals, but again, that, it's not the way you'd really want to start off your season, but they bounced it right back around with a 1-0 win versus Omaha a couple of days later.
1: Yeah, and they did have a, a exhibition schedule, but they'd already finished those up, they couple of weeks prior they won against uh south dakota state 2-1 and they tied with wyoming at uh, one apiece and then they have the the loss to weber state, or to weber state. it's weber
0: it, well they should just add another e to it well yeah but that's not how it works connor
1: i should have assumed <laughs> <laughs> but yeah then they, they lost uh 2-0 to weber state and uh which, which tough way to open and based on some of the things that I saw on Twitter I was out of town, so I wasn't able to go to that game. I really wanted to because they were offering some free stuff for students. Free ice cream and pizza. That was was enough for me. But I wasn't able to make it, unfortunately. But I did see
0: that it looked like it was really well attended. Yes, that was a massively attended game. Like, I, and maybe this is just shame on me, I didn't expect soccer to be as well attended at K-State. No, it was genuinely one of the best show- It was a better showing than a lot of the baseball games. Yeah, the, that was what I could tell
1: from looking at some of the posts online. Uh, and it looked like it was a pretty lively crowd as well from what they were showing. I don't remember who tweeted it. It may have been uh, Mitch Fortner. I think that he uh, does the audio calls for uh, the soccer games, or at the very least used to. And I'm pretty sure that it was the... Um, um, most attended soccer game in K-State history uh, for the opener. They did a really good job at uh, getting people out there and promoting it, which I, I'm really liking to see that uh, K-State's doing a good job of supporting their uh, um, lower-tier sports, at least on the uh, um, financial side.
0: Yeah, and that's always something great to see. So right now we've opened our season 1-1, one and one, but we play again this Friday against Austin. Is it PA or P?
1: I think it's Austin P. I I honestly have no idea. I I could not answer.
0: We play again this Friday. For posterity's sake, we're recording this episode on Wednesday, August 25th. So that's our soccer little recap there. And then we have Volleyball to talk about, who had an exhibition game. And before we talk, before I say this, our volleyball team for these past couple of years has been very, very good. But no one talks about it.
1: Yeah, especially uh, in 2020. They were excellent. Uh, they uh, were the first team out of the uh, NCAA tournament, and this was a reduced field NCAA tournament as well. I think they only took like 36 teams or something like that. So in a normal season, State would have easily been in, uh, but they unfortunately just had a, a couple of tough losses down the stretch, and they uh, kind of blew a game against Texas. And, and if they had... a uh, or I guess I should say a match. Uh, If they won that match against Texas, they would have easily been in because Texas was the uh, number one team in the country last year. They normally are in volleyball. I think they ended up winning the national championship. uh, KC had a 2-0 set lead in that, and they blew it 3-2. But that's last season. This season, they started out with a dub over formerly UMKC. I think they're trying to go by Kansas City now. Uh,
0: They're still the ruse, but... They used to be UMKC. I think they're trying I think, to... I think they're just KC now, but I'm going to yeah, keep calling them UMKC. I'm going to call them UMKC for a long time, probably.
1: They they want to be KC, though, Been some rebranding. I don't know why. They probably have art there. I would imagine. I mean, like, they're in the Lawrence Metro. Kansas City's in the Lawrence Metro.
0: So.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, it was a 3-1 victory over Kansas City on uh, August 21st. And they, uh, they open up uh, the volleyball squad. They open up their schedule... Uh, the Husker Invitational. They'll play, uh, Colgate and Tulsa on a Friday. That's the twenty seventh, and then they'll uh again play uh, that Saturday on August twenty eighth at Nebraska because this is the Invitational um, in Lincoln.
0: Yep. So big things to look forward to. Us even aside from K State football. And if you're a student or just someone living in Manhattan, please go sure, Please be sure to go out and support these sports because they're criminally underwatched, criminally undercovered. And in the case of K-State Volleyball, I believe the stat was at the KU game, we were the only school in like 20 or 30 years that had a top 20 ranked volleyball and football program at the same time. I'm remembering them showing that on the the Jumbotron Stadium. I think
1: you're right. I think I remember seeing that. And obviously the football team may have trailed off a little bit after that. I mean, who knows? Well, yeah, Yeah. maybe. Who's to say? But the volleyball team continued their high-level performance. So keep an eye out for them this year. If they... Because they bring back almost everybody from their team last year. Because I think pretty much the whole starting lineup was uh, freshmen and sophomores. Mm -hmm. So they've got a lot of young talent on that squad uh, going forward. And then also for students... If you have a student ID, which you should, if you're a student,
0: <laughs> it's, it's free. I don't know how you avoid yeah, doing it. Yeah, it's free
1: to get into uh to get into those games. Yeah,
0: and the only thing that's not free with your student ID is men's basketball and football. Yeah, that, that's what the ICAP pass is for. But anything else,
1: women's basketball, volleyball, baseball, soccer, uh, I guess you could probably get into
0: tennis, I guess, if you want. I, te- I don't even think they charge for tennis, just because I think of where it's at. I think you're probably right. It's kind of an inconvenient spot, but... Anyway. <laughs> Anywho. Yeah, maybe if you all show up, obviously show up for the game, but you might see either of us there as well. So that that wraps up the recruiting and recap segments of today's show. Now let's talk about K-State football, which is what this podcast was originally started on the back of. But we're not going to be talking about the the on-the-field product first. We're going to be talking about the the in-the-stadium product first, which is the improvements, you can may or may not put those in quotation marks depending on your perspective, to, I'll call them additions, to the stadium experience at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. So, these include things such as beer gardens, a new playground, and expanded concessions so let's just go from the top to the bottom of the email that we received I'll start off well you can start off with the first one because I don't drink uh, well I, I
1: believe the first one I'm still looking for the list it's uh, the uh, the beer garden yeah that's exactly what I, I was gonna guess that uh, but they're getting a uh, three beer gardens including the new power cap porch which I believe that's in the Shamrock Zone. Yes, it is. And then they're bringing back the South Tailgate Terrace and then a North Tailgate Terrace. And uh, I mean, since they're ceasing uh, alcohol sales in the stadium, this kind of seems like a logical step because they're 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 not selling alcohol just uh, generally, so you can you can't take it back to your seat or anything anymore. Uh, but that was part of the deal with bringing back a. Uh, um, coming and going into the stadium, yeah. which, uh, but I don't know, having some more beer gardens and some new places, I mean, can't really go wrong with that, I think, especially it's in a controlled environment, so, uh, seems like a natural evolution of the stadium.
0: Yep. So, since you're not allowed to drink a beer and bring it back to your seat, you're just going to have to enjoy it in the beer garden, I suppose. Too bad. Yeah, they have the, and then the next thing is the Willy's f- Fun Zone, which I'm guessing is like a little playground. Yeah,
1: I, I'd imagine that's probably the some sort of playground thing yes. for for kids, because they
0: used to have the. So uh, catch Connor and I going down the slides. Yeah, we'll be going down the slides.
1: But they did used to have the, uh, oh, uh, the hill. There's a, um, like there's seats there now. But they're in a concourse, but when I was younger, there was a hill on the northeast part of the stadium, and I vividly remember just rolling down the hill <laughs> a lot.
0: It was actually probably very dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then the, the part that Connor and I got the most enjoyment out of, or at least I got the most enjoyment out of, was the expanded concessions, which included things such as... We'll save our favorite entry for last. It includes such as bacon wrapped corn dogs, fried PB and J's, funnel cakes, and a fried bologna sandwich, as well as the gridiron grill, which has multiple types of hamburgers, and the Wabash wraps and little cat snacks. But the <laughs> you gotta take it, man. The
1: gotta... e- the machos. <laughs> The e-machos. I'm kind of hung up on it, because I can't decide if I love it or
0: hate it. I think I love it, because <laughs> I think you just kind of have to. Like, e-machos. What o- what other emotion can you really feel at it?
1: I don't think there's anything else that you can truly feel with e-machos. Like, I think it just, you have to feel joy when you hear the, the, uh, the word e-machos. And it, I don't know, it's just nice to see them... Uh, expand the concession offerings because I've been going to KCA games my whole life, and they have not really changed that much since uh, I've been going to them. They've added
0: some random things here and there. Turkey leg. Turkey leg. Like you can just see people walking around with a turkey leg. Yeah, you get you get you normal people eating hot dogs, and then you get the insane people who think they're Viking. You get Hunter Deo's cousin just eating <laughs> the turkey legs. <laughs> Yeah, I guess they've added some stuff like McAllister's tea. They added Chick-fil-A,
1: I think, my freshman year. Is that still there? I thought it was. I got it one time. It was
0: alright. I mean, like, that's not something that I would actively seek out in a stadium, but if it were there, I guess I'd have it. Cause like...
1: Oh, I got it at basketball.
0: That's where I got Oh, okay.
1: It. I think they do have it at football, though. But, I don't know. It just seems like a weird thing to get at a stadium for me. But I guess people that are more casual sports fans. They probably enjoy that. Yeah. And then they've added like uh they like I think they saw Papa John's pizza, but they've been doing that for a long time.
0: I'm a very simple man. I get a Dr Pepper and a hot dog.
1: Yeah. I, you, I don't yeah. even
0: put anything on the hot dog.
1: Not even ketchup?
0: I mean, like I wouldn't say no to putting on ketchup, but most of the time the the condiments section is so full that it's just not worth it to me. That's fair. I normally, when I go to games, I, don't,
1: I barely even get food anymore. I get, I get like a, a Dr Pepper, and then I'll maybe get like popcorn or something.
0: Yeah. Just because most of the re- most everything else is so expensive. So, what game are you buying your first order of e machos? Um, day one. The home opener.
1: Yeah, home opener. Agreed. Southern Illinois. I will be. So you don't have to. I will buy some <laughs> e machos and review them so
0: maybe you want to afterwards cuz they're going to they're obviously going to be delicious. Oh yeah.
1: Like they they should be great. I it says various types of meats you can get on them. So I'm assuming that's like chicken and steak and chicken, stuff like that. I imagine just like pork. chicken, beef
0: and pull, pork. Pulled pork would be really good on those, I think. In my mind at least. <laughs> in my in my mind's eye. Yeah. But outside of concessions Sorry, we're, we're two large men. We get caught on concessions sometimes. I think it sounds really good. Gridiron Grills,
1: various types of burgers. I saw a picture of one. It was uh, bacon and mac and
0: cheese. Okay, that kind of looked nasty to me.
1: I, I think it'd actually be really good. They have a similar burger at JP's in the Union, and it's actually really good. Okay. It's surprising. I, I was very skeptical of what I ate <laughs> it, but it's pretty All good.
0: All right. But then they also added more restrooms, a touchdown terrace at the top of the Shamrock Zone, updated sports app, and the return of tailgating, and something that we covered not too long, well, I guess pretty long ago at this point, Yeah. in terms, like, relative time that this podcast has existed, the band is moving back into the student section, which... A, kind of sad, because that means that that's fewer seats, and the fact that they were willing to do that means that the seats probably weren't selling.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably one of the bigger motivations behind it, although also I'm I'm okay with them moving back to the student section anyways, because... Anger Mike Gundy. Yes. Now, Mike Gundy is just going to be furious the next time that he comes up to Manhattan, and... <laughs> Uh, The band's going to be behind him. They're going to be even closer this time. Like, he could barely handle them when they were in the corner, like, far away. (laughs) He he was mad last year. He was very... He was obnoxiously angry about it. Those are rare L from Mike Gundy.
0: (laughs) But, yeah. Exciting times to come and catch a game at Bill Snyder Family Stadium, which the home opener is the 12th? 11th. 11th. Four days before my birthday. Happy early birthday. thank you (laughs) doing this like in a month advance (laughs) but so after we talked about the in the stadium product now it's time to do for the third consecutive week the recap of a press conference however we're going to be making a return to a previous format we used so as to not make this episode an hour long (laughs) We're going to be making the return of the big deal or not a big deal part of the show, which we did, I believe, about a month ago. It's been a little while. I think that we were going to start doing it more, but
1: then realignment happens, and and then we just kind of forgot about everything... Like, it was a different world, pre- and post-realignment. Yeah, this was a happy podcast before. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was relatively happy. I mean, on the grand scale, it was probably depressing,
0: but for a K-State fan scale,
1: it was pretty good, I think. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but anyway, we're going to be recapping the Chris Kleiman press conference that he did yesterday? I believe so. Yesterday, Tuesday, August 24th. Yes. So the first thing that he said is Taylor Portier, which is how you pronounce his name, apparently, and not Poitier. Oh, really? So, I was going all French and saying like Poitier. I think it's Poitiers. but
1: Portier. Oh, that makes even more sense.
0: Egg in our egg in our face. Rare L for oh. our pronunciation game. I even
1: took French. I took four semesters of French at this university, and I couldn't figure that out. So, all granted, it's
0: Americanized French, so like barely counts. Rare L in pronunciation for the Aggieville Alley Cats. That's true, though. We do normally get those right. Toby Osinsomni. Toby Osinsomni. But yes, he is hurt and not Tobio. Portier is, <sighs> is out. Taylor is out for the season with a leg injury, which, big deal or not a big deal?
1: I would actually say that's kind of a big deal uh, just because he really is coming into his own. Uh, last year, I know there's been uh, some rumblings uh, about him maybe having NFL prospects, because uh, he was, uh, he was really, he changed the run game, I think. Uh, like, those last two games, when, I think those were the only two games he started, if I remember correctly, he uh, filled in for, I believe, Ben Adler was injured, and the run game just shifted. He's a great run blocker, and he's coming along in the pass game, so uh, he, he changed the run game, and it was, he was a big factor, and he was going to be very high in the lineman rotation if he wasn't starting this year. So that, that definitely hurts. Although we are lucky in that we do have a lot of depth on the offensive line, and he was probably going to be the number six O-lineman, so like first guy in, I would imagine. So we are lucky that we do have guys
0: behind him. So this isn't, this isn't a, a loss where, where we're screwed. Yeah. That's kind of why I say it's not a big deal. Obviously, no disrespect to him, because I do think he's a great football player, but I don't think it is that big a deal exclusively because of the very next thing that Chris Kleiman said in his press conference, which, to spoil my take, is a very big deal. And he said, we have eight or nine offensive linemen that we could see contributing. He didn't go into specific names, but the rumored names have been Hadley Panzer and Andrew Linegang. So, that to me is a massive deal, especially considering how piecemeal our offensive line was last year. So, we were rotating by necessity. Now we are rotating because we have the luxury to, and we have eight or nine people who can contribute.
1: Yeah, and that's that's just a regular rotation, so we can even see other guys, because I'm trying to think, because I know that there's been talk of Katori Levison having made some great strides this off season. So he may end up in that rotation as well. Uh, Hadley Panzer is a name that kind of came out of nowhere because uh, he was a gray shirt last year. So he's, this is technically his first year in the program, and he's already going to be uh, making strides and making an immediate impact. And you have a guy like Carver Willis that like, actually got uh, significant playing time last year uh, out of necessity, but now he's more of a luxury. So And of course, Taylor uh, Poitier, he would have been in that rotation as well. Then you have Andrew Lean Gang, who's a true freshman and is already maybe going to be inserted into the offensive line rotation. So a lot of interesting names there. And it's offensive line is just you can never have too many o linemen. And having the luxury of keeping guys fresh on the offensive line, that's going to do wonders for the team down the stretch.
0: Yep. Which leads us to the next thing that he said. He said we're good across the board, but he's not thinking of one particular strength or weakness. Which, do you think that is a big deal or not a big deal?
1: Um, I don't really think that's a big deal, because to me that kind of comes across as coach speak, honestly. Because I do think that there's obvious strengths if you look at the team from a K-State perspective. Like, running back's strong, the offensive line is strong, uh, we're strong at quarterback with Skyler, um, and then secondary should be strong. So there's some great strengths there. I imagine we're going to have a very good running game this year, and we should have a complementary passing game. So this seems more like Kleiman just kind of not wanting to spill the beans on um, what we're going to be really good at this year, which that seems pretty common. And we, we've we seen plenty of other uh, strategic talking points, I'll say, from the coaching staff recently, like, over the last month, it seems like every time they're asked about linebacker rotation, they're naming, like, three different guys.
0: Yeah. They're naming Uh, everyone in the linebacker room. Yeah,
1: they've named basically the entire linebacker room at this point. That's probably on purpose. I mean, they're naming guys like Keenan Gaskin now.
0: (laughs) So, like... Yeah, I... We go into that later, but... If I had to say it's a big deal or not a big deal, I this may be one of the rare situations where I'm more alarmist than you, because I actually think that is a really big deal. Because in almost in a lot of the press conferences that Kleiman has had, he has been able to be bullish about one unit in particular, whether it be about the running backs or the receiver progress. But I think that while it is possible that he's just kind of concealing what he has, and saying that, oh, we don't have any particular strength, but we're good at everything. I, I acknowledge that possibility, but I also acknowledge the possibility that he isn't—he isn't not confident, but he doesn't see one group taking over and being able to win games on their own, which sometimes in a game you need.
1: Yeah, I I do see where you're coming from there. I. I'm leaning towards it being coach speak, but in a hypothetical situation where it's just the truth, that uh, is a little concerning because, like, K State's a team. We're gonna need the secondary to step up sometimes. We're gonna need the O line and running backs to step up sometimes. We're gonna need Skylar to step up sometimes. So, like, those are the big strengths that I can think of, at least off the top of my head. And uh, it, I guess it could. It, it is a little concerning uh, if that is the truth that we don't have many great strengths. Although this also could mean that we're just great at many things. Yeah. So, which if
0: that's the case, well, I'll take th- it. that's fine. I'll then take then it. everybody
1: can step up. Sometimes like, like, we can, we can spread the stepping up around. Like we we're a benevolent team. Like we're, 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 uh, generous to, to our position groups. Yeah. But here, I can ask you about, uh, about the next one. Okay. Um, uh, all right, so Kleiman, he says that he feels uh, much better about uh, secondary and uh, the wide
0: receiver groups. Is that a big deal or not a big deal to you? It a massive deal coming off of last year because those are the two groups that every week was a question. Every single week it was a question of, will our secondary have people in it? Yep. Will our wide receiver have people that can catch a football? Generally... No. <laughs> it's the fact that those two groups particular here feeling a lot of are feeling a lot better about, I feel like that's a big deal. Which granted, if I'm going to which kind of leads into going off on a little mini tangent, if we're going to pick one group to have questions about, I'd rather have it be the linebackers than the secondary or wide receivers.
1: Yep. I one hundred percent agree with you. And this is an obvious I think it's a really obvious big deal. Uh, secondary is one it's it's one of the more important positions on the field at any given time, and last year especially was kind of a nightmare scenario more often than not for secondary depth, like especially like the Texas game when we were starting Elijah Sullivan a linebacker at safety and then he got hurt three plays in, so we were preferring a linebacker over the depth pieces we had left in the secondary, which was Hunter Henry, and that's it. And yeah. So. Hearing that we're we're doing well in the secondary, which I think we all anticipated a solid secondary, that's really reassuring. And wide receiver is the even bigger deal here. Uh, I think the emergence of Tyrone Howell and fall camp plays a big role in this. Uh, I think we were all expecting receiver to be at least a little better because they were just not great at all last year. But hearing that they're on the uptick, that's reassuring. And I, I like hearing that. I, I like hearing him say that.
0: Yeah. You want to ask me the next one as well. You want to take you want to take this home.
1: Uh yeah, I, I'll I'll take uh the the next one. I can ask you it. Okay. Um. All right, Kleiman, He revealed that Sebastian Taylor is going to play versus Stanford, but he probably will not be uh 100. So he's not going to be starter, and he's not going to really be in, like his full role. Uh, is that a big deal or not a big deal to you?
0: I'm leaning towards that being not a big deal because that's kind of what we already expected. We kind of already expected that Shabaston Taylor was going to be someone who would play not all 60 offensive snaps. He may play 20 or 30, just coming off of that injury. Plus, I'm more confident in our receiver room this year than I am last year. So I feel losing Shabaston Taylor, even if it is... It, getting a to Bass and Taylor at about 50% of the snaps, we're still going to be better off than we were last year. So that's not a very big deal to me.
1: That's how I feel as well. Um, if you, you'd you asked me this a month ago, I would say it was a big deal uh, because we didn't know uh, just um, how transformative Tyron Howell was going to be for the receiver room, but he's mossing people already, and he's been here for like a month. So Yeah,
0: I mean... Granted, it is true freshman. The, that yeah, was Darrell Jones. That was
1: Darrell Jones, who has never played much corner in his life. But nevertheless,
0: it was still an excellent catch, and it was also a really good throw by Howard. I think that gets overlooked a And lot. it wasn't and bad, bad coverage either. It, so. yeah, it was actually pretty good coverage. So. <laughs> so there's everything about that is There's something to like about everything in that video, even if you're the guy who got mossed. Yeah,
1: yeah it was pretty good defense, just perfect ball. But, yeah, I'm not super worried about this. Not a big deal. Uh, j- him playing at all is... Uh, an upside um, because it took him a long time to get back from that ACL tear. But the fact that we're going to see him all this year, I'm happy about that.
0: Yep. And the next thing that he talked about was also on the topic of wide receivers. And that is he gave a shout out to Landry Weber, who fun fact also got nominated as I believe the big 12 student athlete president.
1: I think it was, it was something like that, right? It was yeah. either the Big 12 or the K-State. I, no, I think one. it was K-State, not Big yeah, 12. Yeah, the
0: K-State Student Athlete uh, Association Council thing. So, uh, he's the president of that, so good for him. Congratulations. But yeah. he also got a shout-out by Chris Kleiman for how he's been playing. And do you think that is a big deal or not a big deal?
1: Um, Honestly, it is kind of a bit of a big deal because it's more concerning that Landry Weber is getting a shout-out in the press conferences, I think, because like, we've had all these like great things being said about the receiver room, but if the receiver room is great, that means that guys like Landry Weber should not be getting shout-outs as like, a top-level performer. Like He's a redshirt senior, but he's not someone that should be supplanting Malik Knowles or Tyrone Howell or Phillip Brooks or even Chabastin Taylor. Uh, and then the rotation, he will get snaps, and he's earned them and he deserves them because uh, he's a very good run blocker. But it, it is a little... Concerning, uh, in my mind, uh, to hear Kleiman single out Landry Weber as like a high-level performer.
0: I, I don't think it's a big deal. I think it's just kind of another... I view it as another piece in a receiver room that could not find anybody last year. It's similar to my feelings about the offensive line. Both of our feelings about the offensive line, because we agree on that. I it, We could find no one last year. And he was hurt for a lot of last year. So I view it more as an embarrassment of riches rather than him taking away from someone else or not having him be the top guy on the field. I just view him as another contributor, and while it's cool that he's showing out, to me it's not a big deal that he is, it just shows that he's another guy who can contribute in a room that needs to.
1: I think that's a fair take. I'm still not 100% sure how I feel about it, but... I mean, if that's the situation that we're in where he's just playing well and is just one good player amongst many good players, then that will end up being a very big deal in the long run. Yeah. So then I'll, I'll ask you this next one. Uh, there's a, a Nick Allen shout-out. Uh, uh, he was singled out as being a guy that's performed really well in fall camp, but he is a backup to Daniel Green at the
0: moment. Is that a big deal or not a big deal? Honestly... You could tell me anyone is starting in the linebacker room, and I would tell you it's not a big deal because they have yet to show me anything that impresses me in any way. So, it's good that Nick Allen is doing well. It's somewhat, not concerning, but strange that Nick Allen is doing well, but he prefaced, he also says immediately after that he's behind Daniel Green. So... To me, that is kind of weird structuring of it, but I don't view it as that big a deal, especially because I think the linebacker room is going to be the most rotated group of players on the field.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I don't think it's a big deal. We've known that Nick Allen has been impressing the coaching staff for a while now, and hearing that he's a backup to Daniel Green, that's not a big deal either uh, because we've been hearing really good things in the last few days about Daniel Green as well through uh, the, the rumor mill uh, that he's uh, really separated himself uh, from the pack as uh, one of the better linebackers and is really taking on leadership roles and stuff. So Nick Allen should be behind Green. So Nick Allen is performing well enough to get a shot out. Uh, that's, that's good, but it's not a big deal
0: in my mind at least. Yeah. Then we have the other linebacker spot in which Kleiman said that there will be a rotation of three players, Keenan Gaskin, Eric Munoz, and Austin Moore. Is that a big deal or not a big deal? Um,
1: yeah, I'd say it's a big deal because those are not three names that you love to see, at least from our perspective. That, that's, those aren't names that you love to see in the linebacker rotation, uh, any of them really because i believe two of them are walk-ons and one of them is a former walk-on that uh, just transferred here in Eric Muñoz. Um the few things i have heard about this group, is that Eric Muñoz is great in the in the uh, uh the uh, the weight room. Uh Austin Moore, i haven't heard much about at all. Can you
0: ask and i've heard he's very very fast. And that's good. Plus and, athlete at linebacker. You know who's missing from that list that scares me? Hmm. Wayne Jones.
1: Wayne Jones. I did remember reading from a different press conference that Wayne Jones and Hennington are the one and two at a uh, um sort of hybrid nickel spot that they're wanting to run. But it it was a little they were a little bit coy on the details. But Wayne Jones was mentioned as a guy that they have at a very specific position that he really excels at. And it kind of sounded like they didn't want to talk about it much more. So I'm not going to talk about it much more either. Yeah, (laughs) that's fair. But, I don't know, kind of a big deal. But I'll I'll try and reserve judgment on these guys until we see them play in person. But it's kind of tough to see right now from, from our perspective.
0: Yeah, he's laughing because he just looked at my face. And I think it's a big deal. Just like he is. basically copy and paste everything that he said, and you have my exact take. It's I understand that they're probably playing two different positions, as in Daniel Green is probably playing the true Mike backer, and Nick Allen is the backup to that. But I, it is not vaguely disconcerting. It is genuinely disconcerting that. Those are the names that pop up for that other back spot. And who knows? Maybe it'll be a rotation system to where none of them will get exposed too bad. And maybe one of them comes out of nowhere and blows our expectations out of the water. Which, if so... Please. That'd be
1: great. Because our expectations are pretty low right now. So, those three linebackers, prove us wrong. Please. I, I would love to be proved wrong in this situation. But... Uh, a lot of it just comes from we have not seen much of these guys ever and they're all former walk ons, but I guess if you're gonna succeed anywhere as a walk on is probably gonna be K State. So
0: walk on, walk on you We really need to get rid of that nickname. We really do. I don't think it's really helping us. We got no. well, after this podcast they got rid of the middle of nowhere Kansas billboard, so Oh well excellent. Maybe we manifest that into existence as well. Yeah,
1: so so yeah, we can just manifest
0: that. That that'll work. It hasn't worked in a lot of other things, though. But baby steps. Baby steps. And something that I think will be really interesting to note for the future of K-State football is something that Chris Kleiman himself talked about, and he said that roster distribution will be a difficult topic for all coaches in the future. And what he specifically said would would be in terms of monitoring eligibility and gauging how much that eligibility will be how you're in the recruiting market. You think that is a big deal or not a big deal?
1: Um, I don't think it's as big a deal as it seems at first glance, mainly because every single school will be dealing with this. So it's not a uniquely K-State problem. And this also is only going to be for like the next four years because of all the COVID classes. So once we make our way through the COVID classes, roster distribution will be a lot more simple. And so for now, I'm not super worried about roster distribution from that perspective, especially because that's just kind of the way college football is going. I'm not heavy on transfers. I don't think it's going to be as extreme as it was last year, every year. But it, it may end up being that. I'm not sure yet. But I don't know. I I'm not
0: super worried about it. I think I'm concerned about it, but I'm not going to call it a big deal. And the reason why I'm concerned about it is because I know how strange roster distribution can get. And especially if we're going to lean into the transfer portal as much as we've said we had, that predictability and knowing where we need to get people will be huge. So the example he gave is, some people who are eligibility-wise juniors are actually seniors, so we need to know when we figure them out. If they make a decision at the last minute that they're going to leave for the draft or just not play football anymore, we're left scrambling to replace that. Like, I'm looking at, in particular, say something atrocious happens at wide receiver and we Malik Knowles decides to go into the draft. What's our plan other than Tyrone Hell?
1: That's the thing, cause we don't really have one immediately, so we'd have to sell. Time. Yeah, we'd have to sell on a transfer, pretty much. Uh, that you're gonna get immediate playing time, pretty much, cause, I mean, who would have left? Just like Howell, Brooks, and
0: uh, um, Garcia, Garber, uh, Travis, Hawkins. Yeah, but we'd still need that alpha number one receiver. Yep, Tyrone. Howell. Fair. But yeah, I, I'm not concerned enough to make it a big deal, but it's more something that I'm going to watch.
1: Okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and ask you this next one. Uh, Kleinman mentioned that Russ Yeast is playing really well. Big deal? Not big deal.
0: I'd say it's a big deal because, specifically the context of the question, was that he was going to be rotating in and out with Jerron McPherson. So... He, he said that Jerron doesn't need to be the type of guy that plays 70 snaps a game on defense anymore, which, given how Jerron McPherson was one of the few bright spots on our defense last year, to hear that we're in a situation to where we can take him out not because he's hurt, but because we have options who can give him a rest, I would say that's a big deal, especially with an incoming transfer who we want all of our incoming transfers to contribute immediately
1: yeah I I would say that it's a a big deal as well mainly because I I do recall that early on in a a spring training for a or in a spring practice for uh, for K-State I remember there being some rumblings that Russ Yeast wasn't living up to expectations and they were kind of concerned about his ability to play but hearing that he's been doing really well recently I mean, that's that's excellent because we need the secondary depth because we're, I'd say, pretty solidly too deep at about every position, but that's about where it stops. Yeah. And having too deep at every position is excellent. And we have that great, just uh, great talent at too deep, but not much beyond that. So we need guys like Rusty East to really perform at a high level. And also, uh, hearing that he's going to be able to give uh, uh, Jerome McPherson uh, some rest here and there. And that's going to be excellent.
0: Yep. Now, the final thing that we have on this list, this was more or less just me patting us on the back. The running back room is looking great, but the second part of this is that Giddens himself will be called upon to play at least a few times in the season. So the fact that Giddens is looking good is the main thing I want to focus on here because everyone knows the running back room is good. Giddens being able to contribute his freshman year. Big deal or not a big deal? That's
1: absolutely a big deal because it seems like we're reaching the point where almost the entire running back room is able to contribute, and that's just absolutely excellent for uh, keeping guys healthy. Because, I mean, we already knew Deuce that's going to be great. It all starts with Deuce, like you said. Yeah, and then we've been hearing great things about Joe Irvin and Jaquardier Wright, and then that that's three guys that you can rotate, which I feel comfortable with, but adding in a fourth guy in Giddens and, and a true freshman at that that just went completely under the radar. I mean, not a soul on earth was recruiting this guy with the exception of Taylor Bratt for some reason. And
0: Apparently it was a good reason.
1: Yeah, apparently it was a great reason for, for us. And now we have him here and he's already ready to make an early impact. So that's going to be excellent because even if he can just take three or four carries a game, if that, that will be absolutely massive for the running back room and just keeping guys fresh and letting them do other things with different guys. So I, I love it.
0: And I think it's a big deal, not only for the football team, but also for us, because I'm pretty sure we were among the first people to say, Hey, look out for DJ Giddens after the practice. Because he was on the side that I was watching, and he was blowing all of the other running backs out of the water with how well he was playing.
1: Yeah, I think that we were, we were probably among the first people to get on the Giddens hype train. I will admit, it got here a little faster than I thought it would.
0: Yeah, we, we, we really thought that that was going to be like our sleepers, like, yo, remember this guy? We were the first one to believe, in it was like, nah, it's been a month. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's been a month since we talked about him, and... Now he's already going to be a rotational guy a running back, it's sounding like. So, I, I I guess we're patting ourselves on the back here a little bit. Yeah, we're going to break our arms patting ourselves on the back. <laughs> but, yeah, and uh, I'm just happy to see uh, the coaching staff able to identify a guy just that's kind of flying under the radar on the recruiting trail, that they're able to just go and from their own backyard. Uh, nonetheless, he's from Junction City, so... Just excellent, excellent recruiting by uh, the staff.
0: Yep. So that pretty well wraps up the major takeaways that I at least took from the press conference. Do you have any that come to your mind?
1: Um, no, I don't think so. Um, other than I guess this press conference that took place in the Shamrock Zone and uh, some media guys were posting various new concession things that they had out for them to try. But... Such as that? Mac and cheese, bacon. Yeah, I think Derek Young had that. It looked really good. Um, I saw someone else post some of the machos, but then there was John Kurtz posted a different type of nachos. It was the kitchen sink nachos, and they looked kind of bad. <laughs> and I also saw someone post a picture of one of the bacon-wrapped uh, corn dogs. I'm not a huge corn dog guy. Other than they're, they're 50 cents at Sonic. Like, I mean, that's kind of That's an unbeatable, true. That's an
0: unbeatable deal. That's you kind of have to do it. That's true, though. But, but yeah, shout-out to members of the K-State media, like John Kurtz, Derek Young, Grant okay. Flanders. Yeah, thank you for showing us these incredible foods that we'll be able to try in just a few weeks now. <laughs> yeah. And nothing
1: else. <laughs> and nothing else.
0: <laughs> nothing else. But, yeah, thank you for all the work you guys do, if you're listening. Thanks. For some reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, that pretty well wraps up the main segment of today's show. And now we're going to be talking about what I think has probably become one of the most popular among people that I've talked about talked to about the podcast. The wacky segment of the week. And do you wanna it's a very simple concept this week. Do you wanna do you wanna bring it up
1: <laughs> Yeah. Um all of this is which college football mascot would win an all out brawl.
0: So let's establish the ground rules for the brawl. Before we do anything else, right? So, it is quite literally a like a WWE-style brawl. Where every single college football mascot is fighting at once. There is no one-on-ones in this situation. It is everyone fighting each other all at once. No weapons will be allowed. Which is why the West Virginia Mountaineer will not win. Yep. Spoilers. <laughs>
1: Yeah, pistol if, Pete.
0: Sorry, man. Yeah, if, it's gonna be tough. Dude, if it were if weapons were allowed, it would literally just come down to pistol Pete and the mountaineer. Yeah, it'd
1: just be a, a the stand,
0: yeah, standoff. <laughs> it'd be a Mexican standoff between a musket and two pistols. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No weapons except those maybe thrown in by a crowd. So Texas Tech and their tortillas. Yeah, Texas Tech could bring tortillas. I don't know how much they'll do, but they'll have them. Yeah, they'll have them. <laughs> oh, I love the Texas Tech Tortilla meme. It's so funny. <laughs> I just I don't know where it came from. I don't either, but it's really funny.
1: Yeah, so so those are the ground rules, pretty much no weapons. No um, weapons
0: unless they're thrown in by the crowd. Mm-hmm. So this isn't basketball, so you can't have someone in the crowd throwing in a chair for K U. Yep, that that is unfortunately against the rules, so. You can't have them throwing in art pieces either. That's also against the rules.
1: And it's going to be hard to not throw it in because it's everywhere, so.
0: (laughs) 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 So, this is actually a question that I didn't think much about before I wrote this. So, this will actually be one of the rare (laughs) situations where I will be talking through my logic for each one that comes to my mind. And, you know, I I really want to say Texas Longhorns because, yeah, I feel like a bull would probably do a lot of damage to a lot of different people. But also, I'm not including Texas because Texas is inevitably going to underperform and disappoint their alumni base, and that includes their mascot. So, um, <laughs> I want to say, for the joke, I want to... Maybe the West Kentucky Hilltoppers, (laughs) because Red Grimace from McDonald's, I feel like he holds some, like, eldritch power that no one has figured out yet. (laughs) So maybe him, uh, (laughs) Beavers, no. Uh,
1: UCLA Bruins, uh, California Bears, they would stand a decent chance. Colorado
0: Buffaloes. Oh, so, I guess... This very quickly becomes a fight of man versus nature. I, I have a a
1: pick that I think may wipe out everybody. Literally, the Tulane Green Wave. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They're, Tulane will just drown everyone. I think.
0: Okay, and we also should have said this in the in the ground rule section of, it is the literal interpretation of what their mascot is. It is not the suit. Of the mascot. It is literally what the mascot is supposed to be. Right. So it's not Willie the Wildcat
1: going out there. Like... No, it is a a human abomination. It'd be an actual Wildcat. It'd be like Touchdown the Wildcat that they had back in like the 50s. Yeah, it'd literally be that. So... But I don't know. Tulane Green Wave. That's... I think that's my pick until I can be convinced
0: otherwise. See, the other option would be the Liberty Flames. But then the Wave would wipe out the Flames. That's true. So...
1: The I guess, the only other thing you could maybe
0: say is like the Crimson Tide. I'm not letting I'm not letting Bama take anything. No, they can't. They can't keep getting away with. They can't keep getting away with this. So
1: no, sorry, Bama, you're disqualified for personal reasons.
0: So, you know what? I'm gonna go with the Florida Gators because I think the Gators could survive the Green Wave. I think they can't defeat the Green Wave though. Hmm. Well, I guess this raises an interesting question of if it is a fight or merely a fight for survival. How do you go up against a force of nature? <laughs> hmm. Build a levee, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Hurry, quick, look up. Are there any college football teams named after levees? Probably not, That's I a... would imagine.
1: Like,. The only ones would be, like, in the south, like, on the coast, I think, just because of, like, hurricanes and stuff. And Tulane is, like, in New Orleans,
0: I think, so. You are really selling me on the Tulane green wave of all things being the mascot that wins an all-out brawl.
1: I think it has to be the Tulane Green Wave, at least in FBS, because I can't think of anybody that beats them. I mean, they may not be able to defeat the Gators, but the Gators certainly can't defeat the Green Wave. force of nature. Yeah. Like, what are the Gators going to do? Chomp at the water? Like, good luck.
0: Good luck, pal. Yeah. I'm angry that (laughs) this is, like, the actually correct answer. I
1: mean, I wish it wasn't either. It's kind of dumb. But I thought about it and I was like, what's
0: gonna beat the green wave? Toledo rockets? They can just avoid the wave, but no one can beat it. Mm-mm. They can just avoid the I mean them. I mean the wave is endless. The wave it's is. literally the it's the entire
1: like it's all bodies of water on Earth. So the so like Toledo would have to like go nuclear. And like dissolve all, all the water.
0: The city of Toledo. Yeah,
1: that's what would happen.
0: <laughs> so I think we can call it here and just say the Tulane Green Wave are your unexpected winners of the mascot brawl. <laughs> I think
1: I think that's what it has to be.
0: If you have any disagreements with this segment, just On Twitter, he just add us and say we're clearly wrong, but...
1: I'm willing to hear arguments because I would much prefer it be literally anyone else than the Tulane Green Wave of all people. But for now, Tulane Green Wave, congratulations. You, You will be the last standing mascot.
0: Because you're the embodiment of every wave on planet Earth. Yep. Secondary Wacky segment of the Week Who wins in a
1: fight? The two-lane Green Wave or Mike Gundy? (laughs) What an unstoppable force meets an immovable object (laughs) The Green Wave is unstoppable Mike Gundy is immovable That's a hypothetical that's been asked throughout all of time and I don't think that we have the uh, facilities to answer that so there's only one way to do it, and it's to put Mike Gundy in a hurricane.
0: <laughs> oh, we forgot the Miami Hurricane. Oh, the Miami Hurricane.
1: But they they just make waves stronger. Hurricanes do like storm
0: surges. <laughs> no,
1: they only get more powerful.
0: <laughs> they can't God. be stopped. This is so...
1: the maybe the I think literally the only possible. Counter. I don't think it would work. Would be the Tennessee volunteers just drumming up a lot of volunteers to go build like sandbag levees. And there's not no. enough Tennessee volunteers. No, there's not. Like, no. I mean, they have a hundred thousand. That won't do. That's not going to cut it against the Tulane Green Wave. It's everywhere.
0: <laughs> oh. Anyway, that wraps up this week's episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to support the show financially, we have a link in our podcast description on every single platform that you listen to to support us financially. Or we'll be releasing merchandise very, very soon. So be sure to look out for that. Alongside our limited edition t-shirt that will be our original logo, which which are... Main t-shirt will not be based off of, but we will have that limited edition one or two week run to prove that you are an original fan of the Aggieville Alleycats podcast. But most importantly, just thank you guys for listening to two guys just talk about what they're passionate about, which is K-State sports. So remember, welcome to the Aggieville Alleycats podcast. We'll always be here with the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. See you later, Alley Cats.